Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone, to the Fanalytics podcast. Uh, another edition of Two Questions. Joined by my good friend and economist, Tom Smith. Oh, thank you, Mike. That's, I like that introduction probably the best of all. So, Tom, right off the bat, two questions, or maybe we say two statements to react to. What's on your mind on this Ooh. day of, what is it, February 26th? It is. Okay, so two statements, two questions, two statements to react to. Okay. Um, Zion is the next King James. <laughs> I will, I will statement-y. I, look, so, I will fully admit to to being a a little bit of a naysayer in terms of Zion being the thing that would uh, have the 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 immediate impact. And and my thought, my thinking has always been that you know these kind of physical freaks, as it were, seldom make the transition that people think they're going to make when they get to the next level, unless you're Shaquille O'Neal. And so his ability right, to come okay. in. I mean, but I mean, I guess the reality is he is as a unique physical specimen as uh, Shaquille O'Neal was. He's a he's the has the physicality of an offensive lineman in the NFL, right? At 280 pounds, could easily pack on another 30 pounds of muscle, but can you know leap and is quick off his feet as anyone in that league, and can also make a three point shot. So I will fully acknowledge that yes, he is a unique specimen, and he is probably the next. The next standard bearer for the NBA for the next uh, for the next decade. Okay, so the, the reason I asked well, made this statement, asked this question. Is this one of these unfortunate situations where we agree with each other? Okay, yes, it is. <laughs> so now we're going to have to do some filler for the next twelve minutes. Uh, so, so the Pelicans played the Lakers last night. So when we're recording this, it's yeah. uh, Wednesday. So last night, and it was and it was kind of a head-to-head game until the fourth quarter, and then well, Le- I, LeBron just kind of took over. He scored forty, and the Lakers won. Right? Yeah, the Lakers won. I mean, and he looked he looked really good. But Zion looked really good too. Clearly, that team, the, Zion's team, doesn't have the depth that the Lakers do. The Lakers are a very complete team at this point. They look so much better than they did last year. Um, they're moving the ball well. LeBron looks rested. I mean, he wasn't in the finals for the first time in seven years, so he's got some extra pep in his legs. And um, and I was I was sort of, I was listening a lot to what announcers were saying and then what sports radio people were saying, and a lot of them were saying, okay, like, is this going to be the premier matchup? Wouldn't it be great if... These guys could squeak in at eight, and so they have to play the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. Everybody wants to see that. I would love to see that. I think that'd be great basketball. Well, you know, when you when you put it in that terms, I think one of the interesting things that's happened is because there's two sides to being a great player, right? There's there's great players that may not be viewed as the, um, you know, when I say the sort of the standard bearer for the league, that means this is also the, it's the dominant player on the court, and it's also the dominant player in terms of marketability. We talked about star power a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the, one of the key points of differentiation is for whatever reason, and I think it's the fact that he is a physical freak, yeah. that Zion you know, moves to the head of the class in terms of the marketing side of this equation. The fact that you know, ESPN is absolutely in love with him. Whereas, um, you know, because I, I think people, 
will make arguments that, you know, LeBron is not the best player in the league, that Kawhi Leonard might be better or uh, Giannis might be better. Yeah. But, you know, LeBron is clearly the standard bearer as a marketing as a marketing instrument, let's say. And it seems like Zion is may have already reached number two on that marketability. I'm guessing the Pelicans sell out everywhere they go right now. Oh, I am sure that they do. I, I, I don't Premium know. Premium pricing as well. Yeah, they, right. Yes, yeah, some really nice dynamic <laughs> ticket pricing there. Um, I don't know how the Pelicans are selling out. My guess is that they are seeing a lot more sales than they have in the past, that they're approaching their limits in terms of... Well, it's interesting, uh, right? I mean, because in a way, Zion replaced uh, Anthony Davis, right? Yeah, that's right. He is, yeah. is Zion a better player than Anthony Davis? I don't know that people are ready to make that argument yet, mm-hmm. but he's much more of a star. Yes. Yeah, he's fun to watch, right? I mean, this is the other thing about it is that, is that when you're when you're say a, a sort of a fan that doesn't have a team, right? So like right now, I would consider myself to be like a somebody who likes the game of basketball but doesn't have a team that I'm just rooting for over and over again. Although I am getting, the more the Hawks play and the more that I see Trey Young play, I'm getting attached to that team. I really like that team. But um, but I'm not I'm not like 100% in yet, right? I haven't bought the season tickets or the 10-game pass yet. Uh, but, um, but I'm close. But without a team, I really like to watch this kid play. I, maybe it's because there's so much potential. Like you look at this and say, oh my gosh, like this is the rookie year of this kid and maybe he could go on to be the star, like the next LeBron James. And I, th- I think what you're hearing, what I'm hearing from you is the answer is yes. Well, I think there's something tricky about it though, right? The tricky thing is, can you be that star of stars? And, and look, LeBron kind of did it in Cleveland. You know, to become that star of stars, you actually have to win as well. Can you win in New Orleans? Can you win consistently in you know, places like Cleveland, New Orleans, um, Milwaukee? You know, and, and I, I put those examples out there. It's like, right. yeah, you, you can. Can you do it over the long haul? Can you do it in a dynastic fashion? Or does Zion have to go to reinvigorate the New York Knicks at some right? I mean, it, it, so the, I mean, there's this other side to it in terms of the the big big story. Yeah, that's I think that's the the big story here is that Zion might be a star, but he's not. He might not be a star in New Orleans forever. He might be a star in New York, or he might. I mean, he might have to move to New York or Chicago, reinvigorate the Bulls or the Knicks to all of a sudden be like the yeah. the supreme star because i mean the way the league has gone right so the way to win a championship is to get one of your friends who is also a top 10 yeah. nba player to come play with you right can you get that to happen in new orleans and the other and the other way to do it is to is to sort of um you hold up your team for ransom and you say well i'm not going to play for you so you better trade me away to another team that has the capacity to pay me the way they want to Personally, I'm not a big fan of players doing that in the league. Well, I don't like the fact that they're kind of put a put a. Go ahead, Mike. I'm going to raise my hand. Oh yeah. Okay. There's also option three, which is what LeBron did, right, with the decision and and then the decision to go back to Cleveland. So every move that LeBron made was really an effort to build that LeBron James brand. Right. I mean, so we went down to we t- took our talents to South Beach. Right. Right. We, we sort of played with uh, Bosch and Wade. Then we came back to save Cleveland again. Right. And now we've moved to to L.A. And so I think historically, right, the models has been, well, you, you'd be a star in one city and that's where your legacy is. LeBron kind of flipped that around. Right. And it was like sort of very strategic moves. 
So I would actually I every would contract. S- very smart. I would say that LeBron LeBron flipped it. I mean, he's he flipped it the third time. He maybe he took a little bit of of good signaling from Shaquille, who you mentioned, right? Who went from the Lakers down to the Heat, and I, Shaquille won one championship with the Heat, right? And so, I mean, so he took that and said, okay, I'm a star here in LA and now I'm going to go be a star down there. And at that point, it it kind of ran out. Like he ran out of juice or he ran out of cartilage or whatever, right? LeBron, if he's able to win a championship with the Lakers, Mm -hmm. he's now set a completely different bar, right, for what superstars have to be. And I don't, I mean, only time will tell, but I think, you know, the next four years, I mean, if Zion stays healthy, Right? Could he be somebody who's all of a sudden going to command well, a team? Let's go build the Knicks, or let's go become the next Chicago Bulls. I mean, you know, even though I'm a marketing guy, I I, I dislike a lot of um, I dislike a lot of what marketing folks say. And you know, the, going down this path of brand building, and maybe we should move off this question in a second here. But you know, for whatever reason, I think Shaq doesn't get a lot of the credit for some of those championships. Right, he ends up being the number two guy in terms of how those teams are viewed. Right, that it was Kobe's teams, and Shaq was on them. Right, right. And and I don't know exactly why that is. And it's definitely. I mean, look, if if the Lakers win this year, is that LeBron's team or is that uh, you know is, is that Davis's team? Um, and, and I think it's LeBron's team, right? And well, yeah. And so it's the, it's an interesting. You know, it's like Jordan and Pippen. Right. Yeah. Pippen never gets the credit. Right. right, And so one of the challenges is if you're you're going down this path to try and build these brands, how do you how do you do it? Now, I you know I'll come back to something and then we'll get off this. I thought going into the season that the narrative was going to be about Kawhi versus LeBron for the Battle of L.A. Mm, Okay. I mean, interestingly, I think the teams have played twice. I think. Kawhi Leonard has won both times. Right. And the general consensus is he's outplayed LeBron both times. But the story of the season seems to be all about the Lakers. And the Not, second story yeah. seems to be the emergence of this new this new standard bearer out of New Orleans. Right. And then the third the third story is is about the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so and if you're the Clippers, you're going like, what? Wait, how the Bucks like catapult over us? As that, we have this conversation, it makes me want to root for the Clippers. <laughs> right. But it's but I mean, I was I was also startled. Maybe second question. Um, and I don't know if you had a question, so I'm, I'm I've got one. Uh, okay. Uh, all right, so, statement two point one: Does it shock you how good the Bucks are, the Milwaukee Bucks are? Uh, again, I feel like it's um, it, it's one of these interesting stories where maybe this is where I'm too much of a marketing person. And I find myself being less of a sports fan and just thinking about the big picture. There, the Bucks have been, yeah, really kind of amazing, fifty and eight something. But I just keep looking at it like you know, can you do this in a small market? Yeah, that's a and, see, I, and I keep uh, and every time I hear that name and look, he he was it was Team Giannis versus Team LeBron in the All Star game, right? Which means that he's their standard bearer. Um, how long does it last? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't think that you can actually keep that going in Milwaukee. There's going to be t- way too much of a pull from you know, another California team or like you said, the Knicks or even just go 90 miles south in Chicago, right? And if if he, if he went 90 miles south, he wouldn't lose any of his fan base. They're all from that area anyway. And he would have such a much, such a significant larger market. Bigger stage, the ability to reinvigorate a a franchise in the Bulls. 
you know, he gets some other, someone else to, you know, come join him there. Right. And the Bulls are off and running. And I mean, in, in a weird way, it's, you know, you gotta, if you're a fan of the NBA, it's almost like you now start to look at this league in a different fashion, right? Where it's like, right. You're not hoping for the Bulls to draft and grow, right? You're hoping for Giannis to come, what do you say, 90 miles south and then yeah. to talk in, you know, some other player and bang, you're back. Yeah. No, and I think from a marketing perspective, the Bulls could the Bulls could offer uh, offer him just a different set of opportunities than he's going to get in Milwaukee. Even though it's 90 miles north, he just doesn't have the same kind of stage. Well, and you know, his management might look at it like, God, the LA market's pretty crowded, and that New York market's pretty crowded with stars. Uh, though the Knicks are a weird one, right? Where it's like there's such an opportunity there, but no one wants it. Nobody wants it. Um, but you know, Chicago is the third market. Yeah. Do, you could work some brand building there. I think you could. I think you could. All right, I did two <coughs> questions. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, no. No problem. So my question is, um, we had a heavyweight championship fight over the weekend. And a heavyweight costume. Yeah. And it, every once in a while, you know, boxing reemerges and captures the popular imagination. And you realize that in some ways... And I'll, I'll make a statement, and you can react to it on multiple levels if you want. Sometimes boxing has an event. You realize that boxing is, in fact, the biggest sport in the world, right? Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it is It is the thing. It is the most compelling sport in the world. And then it goes dormant again for five, ten, for, for, for a long time. Um, it, I'm always fascinated by it because there's so much potential there, and it is such a disaster in terms of implementation. Right. I think it's because you have how boxing is organized is different than, let's say, a team sport, right? Well, Where you have a league. I, I hate to be the teacher okay. here, but if okay. you said that in my class, I would say, what do you mean organized? Okay. Boxing's not organized. Well, okay. So very good. All right. So the way that boxing is not organized is unlike the other sports that we've come to identify as being competitive and we enjoy what, what they offer. Even the PGA has... You know, it's it, you have you have forty free agents who are out there trying to win a tournament, but they're all part of the PGA. There are sets of rules. There are sets of ways that you're supposed to behave and act. You've got there's some accountability. Same thing with the you know USTA, right? So it's it's you belong to this association. You can go play the tournaments that you want to. USTA but then, is tennis. You know, tennis is okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right, and so. You've got the or the Professional Tennis Association, the Association of Professional Tennis Athletes. I, I, someone's going to send me an email saying, "Don't you know more about who no, governs I don't know tennis?" Anything. I, don't, so, I apologize. I will admit advance. to knowing nothing about tennis. But there's still a league that oversees. I think how, the last tennis match I watched was uh, Bjorn Borg versus Jimmy Connors. So I think I don't know. They, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wooden tennis rackets yeah. and the, yeah, breakfast at Wimbledon in the '80s. So. 70s. Was it 70s? Okay. Goodness. Goodness. Okay. All right. So here's the deal is that I don't, boxing doesn't have those same kind of, let's say, overarching structure. There is structure, but the structure is so, like you said, unstructured that there's no way to really tell a compelling narrative that keeps your fans interested. Right, the narrative has to come from an individual athlete. So you're McGregor's, if you will. Right, it's like you follow these guys. You say, well, he, 
came over from from Ultimate Fighting, and so is he really a boxer? Is he really an Ultimate Fighter? He does a little bit of both, but it's he's a compelling athlete to watch. I think he's you know like you said, unique specimen about Zion's McGregor's the same way, and you're like, okay, I could watch this guy. Like he'd be interesting to watch, but I'm following him. I'm not boxing isn't really telling me the story. I knew yeah. there was a match and, last and night. Let me, let me interrupt yeah. you for a second. So one of the things I think is fascinating about it, you say, oh, this guy is interesting to watch, but it's more than that. With some of these guys, suddenly the entire cultural culture is fixated on them. Yes. Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, Tyson Fury potentially now. Yeah. I mean, we, and, and again, you almost have to wonder if like, is this actually real or was this, you know, Tyson Fury? I mean, it's like... <laughs> I'm like Tommy Gunn, yeah. right? We were expecting um, a Rocky Rocky movie. But but so it's, it's, it's beyond. And this is kind of my point. It's like there's this, this strangeness in terms of our culture, like, wants this, right? Yes. We want this blood sport more than anything else, these two gladiators. And so, you know... Every once in a while, it's like the stars align and boom, right? Right. Yeah. But I don't know if this guy is as compelling as your, let's say, like your Floyd Mayweather's or your Mike Tyson's. I mean, the story just hasn't been told the same way, right? And I think that's one of the things about boxing is that you get fixated on an athlete, and then you follow that athlete for a number of years. And then once that athlete yeah. sort of comes off the stage, unlike, unlike the NBA— where you've got this compelling story. Okay, it's going to be LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Okay, now it's going to be Zion. Okay, now it's going to be Giannis. Now it's going to be, we're telling you who the stars are, and we're setting up this long-run trajectory for you to be a fan for a long time. So you continue to consume our good. Well, boxing doesn't have that storyteller to tell you who the narrative is, right? What the narrative should be. Oh, it's going to be this, this, this. Oh, here's this new kid. He's coming up. And it's like, look out for him in a couple of years. He's the undercard now. And then, bam, he's the world champion. Let's follow this dude well, for a while. You know, we just it, don't have that. Right. And it, 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 I, I, one of the words you use in there is this, this undercard kid, right? And so one of the things that boxing lacks in the current, and, and people try this once in a while, right? It's like no one fights for free, right? The, right. You know, a lot of sports that ends up being almost like a what's called a freemium model, right? Where it's like a lot of the content is for free, and then there's some payoff down the road. Boxing seems to have lacked that entry point, right? Where, I mean, I don't, I don't know, have is have Wilder or Fury? How many times have they fought on free TV? Throughout the course of their career, I have I can't no imagine. I, I can't imagine. I have no idea. No, I don't think ever. Right? I it no might idea. be you know a relatively small number, or maybe potentially even never that they've all just sort of been, you know, they had some fights and they became prospects and they were added to undercards and then you know they beat Klitschko in a main event and you know and the general public never gets to see them. Right. Right. So. This is one of the things that let's say UFC fighting actually the way they've put it together. Um, maybe there's something that boxing can borrow from them because they would they would promote these fights even if they were just part of the of a match night even if it wasn't the premier event it was oh you're gonna see this kid oh you're gonna see her play oh you're gonna see her boxing you're gonna see him fighting and what have you and they were promoting these athletes or these fighters um, and so you'd say like okay who's on who's on the card tonight oh okay it includes this 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 person this person this person and UFC would say that okay what's the next set of rounds, matches that are going to include these people? So they had a compelling story. Boxing doesn't do that. They well, could borrow that from UFC. Well, but UFC, I think you have to view as like the winner of a competition amongst you know three or four cage-fighting promotion companies, right? 
and boxing in a way, um, you know, is, is dominated by a few promoters, right? Right. Go, you know, Golden Boy, I think is, uh, who's, uh, I forget the name of the box, De La Hoya's company. Okay. Um, you know, back in the day, I think the glory days, we always think about well, glory days, but you know, the Don King stable of fighters, no, which is right. the Bob Arum stable of fighters. But yeah, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no global overarching structure that allows this kind of development over time. All right. So what is what do you find compelling about the sport? Because I have to admit, like, I am a very casual watcher of both UFC and boxing. I only tune in if there's like a major, major event. So like two weeks ago, we talked about McGregor was uh, had this match against this guy named Cowboy. And so and I actually so so I saw that that was actually but I I tuned in because of McGregor and can I can I tell you why when like the when was the point that I actually decided I was going to watch this match is it during the weigh-in like you know the guys get really in their face and then McGregor like he was like super in the guy's face and then he shook his hand he's like okay let's do this I was like whoa that was a very different kind of behavior on stage has he been taking this more seriously is he been training he looks like he's super cut I want to see this guy fight and it's that moment, I mean, it was very orchestrated, but he had a specific thing he wanted to do, and he caught my attention, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to tune in for that fight. And I did, and it was a great fight. I'm glad I watched it. Well, I'll say this. I think you know, UFC is actually kind of similar to I mean, we can sort of unite these questions in a way that the UFC has operated much like the NBA over time with uh, very much being a star-driven uh, promotion, right? Right. Right. So, I mean, you go back in time. I remember when I think it was Brock Lesnar, you know, this this monster of a man set the pay-per-view record. And then we kind of slid into the Ronda, the, w- w- something that I actually view as a little bit strange, the Ronda Rousey era of the promotion. Well, I to, don't know why they think that's strange. Like the it was Conor McGregor. Right? Clearly, it was helpful. Like, they found it to be helpful to be promoting her. I don't. Um, I, to be honest yeah. with you, I, I don't. Um, I'll, I'll come out and say it. I don't like females. Um, I don't like female martial arts and female fighting. I, I don't. I don't care for it. Mm, okay. Um, and again, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to take any criticism on that. You know, I, I think. Um, well, let me sort of take a quick step back, and we can start to move towards wrapping this up. Okay. When you ask me, you know, what do I find compelling about it? I almost look at this as a, sort of as an academic with a bit of a fascination for how much fandom and how much conversation and community exists around these high-profile combat sports. Right. That there is something primal in this. You turn this into a blood sport, and particularly you got a couple of giants at the, the heavyweight level, and there's something that society is all in. People just people just get on board with that. And, you know, it, it, in some ways a, a heavyweight fight it's like Super Bowl week, you know, but it's one-on-one and there's danger in the ring. Um, so I think there's something interesting about it just as like from an outsider thinking about fandom that the nature of that competition, maybe it's the danger, maybe it's the violence, but there's something primal that just makes that explode. Wow. Okay. I like that. I like that. I like you. T- I mean, I like that you linked it back into sort of playing towards the fans, right? I mean, there's something that, that fans find to be primal about it. That's what connects them. In order to, for mm-hmm. for boxing to be successful, they have to tap into that and create 
Well, not only that, but then some kind of a story. And, and let me, let me. I mean, I mean, since we're going down this road, I wasn't expecting this. One of the things that I think is really kind of brutal is, you know, if, if you're a fight fan, and I'm a, I'm a fight fan, and you, you're watching something, you're watching one of these fights go down, and you see the end of a fight. You see a guy get hit square on the jaw, and the lights go out. Right. It's an ugly thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you know, this is a, this is someone that is trained up to be a, a, a destroyer. And then you see lights go out, or you know the, you know the, they they tap out. There's something there's something more tragic and sort of uh, scarier than just you know, losing a basketball game. You know, potentially, potentially, you know, you you lose your life, or you go to the hospital and you lose your life in the hospital, right? Right. And, and so it's that kind of ugliness, I think. And again, I think this is part of the where the fandom comes from. I don't want to see that with women fighters. So. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I can. I'll, yeah. I'm, I'll back you on that 100. Yeah. percent Okay. Yeah. All right. So what's your? So what's the? What is there a thread that was between our questions? If you were to, well, I, I think that the thread is just this nature of, um, you know, stardom-driven promotions or stardom-driven driven leagues, and sort of the the challenge from if you're let's say the NBA and you can manage the whole thing, right? Uh, you can decide who to promote versus the the chaos of. You know, not having a global organization in the case of boxing. What do you think? No, I think that's the thread. I was going to say that it has to do with how the league is organized, how it organizes its talent, how it tells the consumer, this is the talent that we think is important. You should think they're important too. Boxing sucks at it. I think that the UFC is actually pretty good at it. I think the NBA is even the be- they might very well be the best at managing that aspect of the they've sport. Been, they've been doing it since Magic and John, uh, since Magic and Bird, Larry. Yeah, right? Larry so. Bird, right? Yeah, they've been doing it for, yeah, they've got 40 years on us. So. Okay. As always, thank you very much, Mr. Smith. Um, and for those of you listening, much more content at fanalyticswithmikelewis.com. Uh, so until, uh, until next time. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>